0: Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Grace. Before I get into uh, our our teaching this weekend, I want to just re-emphasize a couple of things that uh, Ryan was talking about earlier. One is that Raise the Bar event. Uh, If you're interested in kind of the creative arts, everything from tech to cameras uh, to musicians to set building, uh, one of our, well, our big passion, the driving passion of Grace Church, is to open thirty campuses in thirty years. We've opened two so far, so we have twenty-eight more years to do this. And uh, as we do that, we want to kind of basically take the gospel, or take the church to a local community, as opposed to bringing everybody kind of into one one location. As we expand and multiply that, the hardest thing to multiply are musicians. So when it comes to speakers, you only need one, right? We're we're fairly easy to come up with me. But when you think of the music that you probably love here at Grace, the quality, the depth, the work of that musicianship, and then think about doing that on all kinds of campuses. So if you are a musician, and I think Ryan even said, if you're a bass player or a drummer, God loves you more right now. He told me that earlier we were talking. Uh, we actually need you to step forward. If you used to play in a band, uh, if you did that back in the day, if you're doing that now, or you're dormant a little bit, uh, we need you to step forward and kind of make yourself known. Now, you can tell here at Grace, you have to be a quality musician. You can't be like me. So don't, don't think about, like, I strummed a guitar one time. But if you can learn and you have a talent, we need you to step forward. We need you to audition. We need you to become a part of that process. And that, that's not just a big announcement. That, that is the ongoing vision and ministry of Grace Church. That's something that we'll always need because we send our musicians. Oftentimes, we start new campuses. So put that on your calendar. Come Friday to that or put on your connection card. And then that discovery group, if grace is your home church, if you're thinking about grace being your home church, if you one time heard about this church called Grace Church and you're interested in knowing about that and really becoming a part of what God's doing here, that discovery group, make that a big priority. And so that'll be next uh, Sunday here. Uh, at the Gent Road uh, building, so do that. You'll have a blast doing that, and uh, you'll definitely feel tied in, okay? So those are big deals. Those aren't just like announcements, you know, that that we're making. Those are actually the kind of things that drive the vision and the mission of of Grace forward, and uh, we want you to uh, participate in that and be a part of it and enjoy it, and I want you to know that we, we need you to do that as well, All right. Okay, we're in a conversation right now called uh, Little Christ, and in this conversation, we're asking that question, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Uh, We found that that term Christian was something that you were accused of. It's not something that you would self-identify with. So in the early church, uh, people who were not Christ followers would look at Christ followers and they would say, those guys are crazy, like they love Jesus, they're always talking about Jesus, what he did, they're trying to mimic Jesus. They believe Jesus rose again from the dead. They just act like Jesus all the time. They're a little, bunch of little Jesuses, a little, little Christ, a Christian, a Christian is where that term came from. And it was an accusation, it was a stereotype. Now, over time, that concept has morphed. And by the way, this isn't like sinful that it morphed. It just has. It's morphed over time so that today, Christian means a a subculture or it's a excluder, right? So you might say, "I, I grew up in a Christian family or I grew up in a Christian nation or I go to a Christian restaurant, whatever, or it's an excluder. Are you a Muslim? No. Are you a Hindu? No. Are you a Buddhist? No. What are you? I'm a Christian, so we would exclude ourselves or self-identify that, but it's a label that we would put on ourselves. Now, Jesus never did that. Jesus never used the term Christian. The disciples never used the term Christian. That, that wasn't his idea. Jesus in the Bible never said, I want you to go make Christians or I want you to go start a religion. He never said that. He used a different term that has a different concept. Jesus used the word disciple. And he said, I'm calling you to be my disciples. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And so that, disi- that word disciple is very different. Disciple is this concept. A disciple is one who loves, follows, and is completely devoted to the master. And so in the idea of disciple or discipleship, the whole idea is, is that I would be mistaken for my master, I would so think like, act like, love like, be motivated like my master that people would look at me and they would say, you're, you're like a little Christ. You're like a little Jesus. You're just like your master that you claim to follow. And so we've been talking about the difference in those two concepts that Christian and Christianity, it's not that it's all bad. It's just that it's not all good either, right? It's something that I self-identify with. Disciple is very different. Disciple is a relational concept where I lock into who Christ is, and I want to know him, I want to follow him, I want to be like him, I want to be mistaken for him. Now, Jesus says something interesting. He said, my disciples actually have a hallmark. Uh, you, you, can, you can tell someone someone's my disciples, and he says this in John 13, verse 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another, so what marks the, the, the disciple of Jesus Christ is our love, our love for each other, our love for the world around us. Disciples of Jesus Christ are weird, so we'll do things like love our enemy instead of hate them. Uh, we will not repay evil for evil. You do us wrong. We won't get revenge on you. We might sell everything that we have and give it to the poor. We might hop on an airplane and sell everything we have and go to a place where people don't know about Jesus and they didn't invite us and they didn't ask us and they weren't looking, but we'll show up anyways and try to help them know about Jesus. We'll do weird stuff. And that's what Christ did, right? He's like, yeah, when you see that stuff playing out, You can know you're my disciple, and other people will know you're my disciples, because that's the kind of stuff my disciples do. A Christian would look at a subculture and say, I need to protect or build this subculture. I need to protect or build these traditions, and I have to insulate other people away from these things. And so they will have a us against them Mindset. I I don't want the country to go to pot. I don't want other people to affect my family. This is because I'm a part of a religious system that I value. I want to keep it. A disciple is very different. A disciple has a "us for them" mindset. So a disciple is first of all completely devoted to Christ, loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. A disciple's not trying to get out of what the Bible says. They're not trying to skirt the corners. They're not trying to cut corners relationally. They're actually trying to mimic Jesus, right? And they're going to mimic Jesus's passion to reach people. So Jesus had an us-for-them mindset. He stepped out of heaven, was born of a virgin, lived on earth, purposely laid his life down. John 10, by his own authority, raised it back up again. And he did that for people who weren't asking, who didn't know. Many of them hated him. A lot of them didn't care about him. But he did it anyways because he loved so intensely that he wanted to provide a way of escape for their sin. So we picked up this little phrase. We said, if you want to know what Jesus means by what Jesus says, you have to look at what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus means by what Jesus says, you have to look at what Jesus did. So when Jesus said, love people, he wasn't just talking about being nice, He wasn't talking about being polite. He wasn't talking about throwing 10 bucks at somebody once in a while and thinking of yourself as a generous person. When Jesus talked about loving people, he was talking about going all in. I'm all in, I'm laying my life down for you. The Bible says he demonstrated his love through his suffering and his death on the cross. And he said, when you see my disciples, not Christians, because Christians are whoever they say they are, right? When you see my disciples, you'll see that. They're eager to be obedient to me. They're eager to be generous to another. They're eager to live in those ways. They're eager to give their life away and they'll stick out like a sore thumb. You can't mistake them. In fact, when you see them, you'll think of me. That's what a little Christ is, a Christian. That's what a Christian supposed to be. It has nothing to do with subculture. It has everything to do with a disciple and a follower of Jesus. So we've been working on that for the last few weeks. It's a really, really big conversation, Right? And uh, it's all out online. Uh, if you go to bath.graceohio.org, uh, you can listen to those conversations and you can watch them. You can get a podcast uh, for free through iTunes if you want. It'll just come to your phone. If you're not sure how to do it, ask your eight-year-old. They'll set it up for you. And um, you can kind of catch up with that. This weekend, I want to I push a little bit deeper and explore a little bit more this idea of loving-like Jesus And what does Jesus' love look like? How does it play out in real time? And then how is it gonna show up relationally with us as we interact uh, with other disciples, as we interact with our families and our, our spouses and children and our friends in the dorm and whoever comes across our path? What's that gonna look like? So when I'm looking at how to do something in the scripture, right, when, when, I, when I hear the Bible say something or Jesus say something and, and the thought is, well, how am I supposed to do that? What I need to do is look at Jesus, because if you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you need to look at what Jesus did. So he defines truth as he lives out in scripture. And in order to kind of get our head around this idea of loving each other, we need to look at Jesus who uh, personalized that, he put skin on it and showed us how to function. So I want to show you something about Jesus here, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, work on it. Now, I want to warn you ahead of time, I'm going to mess with your head. I'm not, Jesus is, right? He's going to mess with your head. If you did not grow up in church, and if this Jesus thing is really new to you, you're actually the one who has the advantage in this conversation today. Uh, because you're going to hear it, you're going to be like, oh, OK, that, boom, done, that's what it means to be a disciple. If you grew up in church and you have a a religious background or strong preconceived ideas about what it means to be like Christ, you're going to have a headache by the time that that you leave here. And remember, it's Jesus, not me. Don't send me an email. Send it to to Jesus, Jesus Jesus.heaven.dod. And and you can get it. He'll read it. He'll respond right away. He might be out of office. You got to check. But, right? So let me show you this and we'll work on it a little bit. Grab your Bibles and go to the book of John, John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's something there in the chairs. It's page 739 in those Bibles. In fact, if you don't own a Bible or a newer copy of one, just take that one with you. We, we really do want to give that away, so just grab it and write your name in it and keep it. And if you want to use your phone, we use the YouVersion app. And you can hit that. We're Grace Church. And if you find us, uh, all the notes and everything will be right there. All right, John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's read this through, and then we'll, we'll dissect it a little bit. Okay, so the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, this is the one that I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in a place of grace already given. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that, that's a bunch, right? So let's, let's pick this apart a little bit. Uh, verse 14, the word became flesh. The term the word is just another, it's another name for Jesus. So Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So Jesus steps out of heaven, he comes to earth, puts skin on, he's born of a virgin, he's fully human, fully God, all right? So he did, he did not set aside his Godness. To lock on his community, his humanity, he was both together and he dwelt among us. So God dwelt among us, right? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. So we, the apostle John, is writing this. John, the apostle John was Jesus' best friend. And so he was saying, we saw the word become flesh and we, me and the other disciples and all the people that were there with Jesus, we... We will say this was God. We saw him do miracles, water the wine, raise people from the dead, the whole nine yards. We heard his teachings. We saw his love. We saw the glory of God. And we believe and we kind of testify or affirm that he came from the Father, okay? So the word became flesh. He came from the Father, dwelt among us. Ready? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and this is a big one, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That's all underlined and marked up in my Bible. Full of grace and truth. I circled the word full and then I underlined grace and truth. We're gonna talk about that a bunch. That's a really, really big set of words right there in the Bible, okay? Then he goes on, John testified, different John. So John the Apostle is writing this. John the Baptist is who he's talking about now. So John the Baptist was a prophet, in the New Testament who was out saying, hey, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming, there's a Messiah coming. Jesus showed up, walked down, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And John the Baptist is like, there he is, that's him. That's who I've been talking about. So John testified concerning him saying, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So there's two now witnesses saying, yep, Jesus is God. That's who I'm talking about. Ready, verse sixteen. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace, and the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses; grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's that grace and truth phrase again. Okay, now, this is what John the apostle is digging out a little bit, saying Jesus came to earth. Jesus is God. We saw it. We testify it. John the Baptist affirmed it. We're all in agreement. Jesus is God. But when God showed up and dwelled among us, he was different than we expected. Jesus came, and what our concept of God was the law, right? So Moses gave a bunch of laws, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, all the thou shalt nots, and then the book of Leviticus, which was like, you know, prepare the goat this way, kind of a thing, You know, all this stuff in Leviticus, the law. He says, the law came through Moses, but when Jesus came down, he showed up and he was full of grace and truth. So he didn't negate the truth. It's not like the Old Testament doesn't count anymore. So he was truth, in fact, the Bible says Jesus fulfilled the law of the Old Testament, so he's truth, but he's also grace. He was like both of these things, right, grace and truth. So grace is this, that the Clinical definition of grace is God's unmerited favor is what the, what the word means. And it, it just means this. When I interacted with Jesus, he was full of grace. So God's unmerited favor, Jesus chose to love us because Jesus chose to love us. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't be baptized and do these 10 things and write a big check and go to church a few times and think that I've somehow earn the grace of God, God gives that freely to me. So when we think about God's grace, it's given freely and it encompasses things like this. God freely loves me. He freely forgives me. He's kind to me. He's gentle with me. He's patient with me. He restrains his judgment and his wrath in my life, I, I, what I deserve is I deserve like a lightning bolt, right? Because I'm, I'm a sinner. God doesn't do any of that. He draws me with his kindness. It's his compassion, his forgiveness, the grace of God. And when I, when, when I interacted with Jesus, I found that he was full of grace, right? That is Christ. He's the embodiment of grace and truth. So Jesus was weird, right? So he's all these things... But then he also is all truth. So the clinical definition of truth is a fact or a reality, right? A fact or a reality. So Jesus also speaks about the facts and the reality of who I am. So it's weird. Jesus was like, I love you, I forgive you, I'm gonna lay my life down for you, I'm gonna... And then Jesus was also like, you're a wicked sinner. You're a sinner your heart is far from me, your heart is deep in sin, you are sexually immoral, you're an idolater, you're an adulterer, you're wicked, you're self-centered, you're egotistical, you're prideful, truth. So John was saying, man, Jesus showed up and he, he made no bones about like who we are and what we are. And then Jesus showed up, and he was all about, like, I love you, I forgive you, I'm here to lay my life down for you, I'm willing to pay a debt I do not owe for you who owe a debt that you cannot pay, I'm the substitutionary atonement, is what that means, right? So I'm all of this, and I'm all of this, and I am Jesus, okay? Now, where this gets hard is we would look at that and say, huh, I can look at pictures of Jesus where he's all kind of all about grace, right? And Jesus would do this, he was weird. He was all about grace. There's one time he was walking through a crowd. This woman, the Bible says, had a health issue. She touched the hem of his garment and he healed her. Grace. And then there's this other time when Jesus walked through a gathering of disabled people healed one guy, told him, don't tell anybody, and left. There's a time when, uh, when Jesus met with these religious leaders, these guys who had dedicated their whole life to their knowledge of God and their pursuit of perfect living, and he said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're pretty on the outside and you're dead on the inside. And then there's another time Jesus was sitting down and having lunch, and this Prostitute broke through the greeting line, fell at his feet and started washing his feet with her tears and he's like, I forgive you, go and sin no more. Weird, right? But Jesus was perfect, so he's not like schizophrenic. What what is that supposed to do? So when you're looking at grace and truth and saying, well, if if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm called to love people and extend grace and truth to them, and I'm looking at my master saying, how do I immolate this in, into my, my life? What am I supposed to do? And what you're gonna find very quickly is Jesus did not pursue people with a set of behaviors. He did not pursue and say, hey, everything's okay, don't worry about it. What Jesus did was, ready, here we go, buckle up, write this down. He loved you. And as he loved you and pursued you, grace and truth would play out perfectly in your life. And that's where we struggle, right there. Because when we think about being loved by God, and we think about grace and truth being extended to us by God, we tend to define love based on how we received it. So some of us are truthers, right? And we receive the love of God when the truth of God showed up in our lives. And somebody said down, this, this happened to me, I'm kind of a truther, it's the way I'm wired. I'm, I'm wired to let you know what's wrong with you, okay? And, and I, I received the love of God when someone finally told me the truth about myself, I was a junior in college and a guy sat down with me and he said, you know what? You're super religious. You do really well in the Christian subculture. You know how to say things. You know the Bible. You know how to turn it off and turn it on. And and that's, that's how you've been interacting with God. And here's the truth. The truth is you are not submitted to God. You will not yield to God's word. Every part of God's word that you don't like, you just ignore. You don't love Jesus. And you are a classic example of a hypocrite. And I fear that you're gonna go to hell. That's why he said to me. Thank you, Steve Huber. (laughs) Well, I felt loved. That is exactly what I needed to know, right? So when I think about truth, when I think about loving people, I'm like, to love people, we gotta tell them the truth. Now for others of us, we don't feel loved by truth. It's grace that we need. That's what makes us feel loved, and that's how we receive the love of God. Because for others of us, we've never once struggled uh, about feeling guilty and convicted about our sin. We're wired to feel guilty and convicted about it. So when we receive love from God, we never had any problem believing we were wicked, never had any problem believing we were unworthy, never had any problem believing that we were were, uh, undeserving of God's love. In fact, our greatest struggle is we still tend to believe those things about ourselves. And we can't see how God can love us and how can God can, can, uh, forgive us. And does God know about my freshman year of college? And yes, he does. Well, I'm unworthy. And when we heard that the grace of God covers that, that God loves you and forgives you and wants to extend mercy to you, and he's eager to do that, and he loves you the way that you are, and he wants, it, our, our our hearts just blew up, we're like, man there's a, my creator God isn't out to get me, my creator God's out to love me, yeah. So we receive the love of God when we found out about the grace of God and now we tend to define loving people as extending grace. Just like others of us define loving people by telling them the truth and what happens is this, in our own understanding of what love is, we tend to lean one way or the other. And the minute that I lean one way or the other, what I start doing is I start walking away from the other. I become all about truth and I tend to forget about grace or I become all about grace and I tend to forget about truth. And whenever I'm all truth all the time, or all grace all the time, I am no longer representing who Christ is, because He is full of grace and truth. Right, so it kind of works like this: I'm all truth all the time. I'm gonna let people know what's wrong with. I want to. You are a sexually immoral, wicked sinner. I'm gonna let you know that. I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with you. I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says is wrong with you. The Bible says that God's gonna get you. The Bible says that you're gonna stand in judgment. The Bible says that all your sins are gonna be revealed. The Bible says you better watch out. You're living on borrowed time. I believe that so deeply, I'm gonna put a bumper sticker on my car to let everybody know what the truth of God is. I'm gonna put a sign on a telephone pole that says, thou shalt repent, of your sins, right? That just kind of came out. <laughs> and I'm all truth all the time. And truth out of context, truth out of relationship, ready, buckle up, suddenly isn't true. It's a half-truth, also known as a lie, and some of us are all grace all the time. God loves everybody. Let's coexist. I'm putting that on my bumper sticker. Right? And it doesn't matter what you do, honey. God loves you, you are a good person, he sees your heart, it doesn't matter if you're living within the confines of how he told us to live, it doesn't matter. if We all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. God accepts everyone and that's not true. And all grace, all the time, devoid of truth, is a lie. It's a justification. It's a rationalization of our sin. But when grace makes sense to me, I wanna present Jesus only as grace. And when truth makes sense to me, I only wanna present Jesus only as truth. And here's the problem. He's neither one of those isolated from the other. He is grace and Truth. And when I think of grace and truth, when I want to create a picture of Jesus, it's not just grace and it's not just truth. It's something new. That's what John was saying. There's this new thing. It's not just the law. It's not that God came down and said, hey, just forget about that Old Testament stuff. My dad was really overreacting to things. No, no. Jesus is a third way. He's different. He's not all truth all the time. Martin Luther said, truth, truth, and more truth. No, Martin Luther. Love you, bud, but no. See? It's grace, grace, it's nothing but grace. No. It's, ready? Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus, and as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, as one fully devoted to Jesus, I'm leaning outside of what I understand and I'm locking into who he is and what he said and that's what I follow and that's what I want to represent. Now this is incredibly difficult to get our heads around, this is why. You can't categorize it. You can't categorize it. Give me 10 things to follow in order to please God and I will keep the rules. Well, following God isn't a set of rules, so that's not gonna work. Let's just believe that God loves everybody all the time. There are no consequences. Well, there are severe consequences. That's why the Lord laid his life down and died because we needed a way of escape, because it's not that you're going to go to hell one day, it's that you're on your way there right now. You can't categorize it. You can't just throw it in a thing. You can't turn it into a religious system. You can't turn it into a stereotype. You can't politicize it. I have to know the Lord my God. I have to love him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I have to connect into him. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to, are you ready for this? You're gonna wanna write this down, this is huge. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I actually have to follow Jesus. And as I follow Jesus and I go to interact with people that Jesus loves, Grace and truth is not gonna play out cleanly in my life. It's not always gonna look fair, it's not always gonna be clear, it's not always gonna make sense because I'm following Christ and now Christ has brought this person into my path and asked me to represent his heart and his mind to them and Jesus played out grace and truth in a bunch of different ways. But what he led was with was love. So I wanna love you, how do I best love you? Well, sometimes in order to love you, I gotta square off with you. And I gotta tell you the truth about yourself. Dude, you, you are gonna blow out your marriage. If you keep doing this, if you, it's going to catch up with you. You're going to ruin your life. My kids will be better, they'll be better, they'll be more. No, they won't and they won't get over it, and they don't recover from it. You haven't recovered from your parents' divorce. Quit lying to yourself about that. It's not true, and sometimes in order to love someone, I have to take the courage from God to tell them the truth about themselves. I'm a follower of Jesus. You would never know it by Facebook. Your kids would not jump up and say, what my mom loves more than anything else in life is, in order to love you, sometimes I have to tell the truth. And other times, I have to go to an extreme of grace. Well, the divorce has already happened. I'm already remarried. Right, God loves you and forgives you, and he loves your children more than you do. And it's incredible that some of the most dynamic People, followers of Christ have come from the most painful homes and God does overcome sin and love covers a multitude of sins and how many times do I have to forgive my husband because Jesus said something about 70 times seven? How long are you gonna put up with that guy? Indefinitely. Can you write a pamphlet about when to exercise truth? Nope. Is there a class about how to extend? Not really. How do you know what to do? The book of Proverbs says this in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. It's a great little hint. Here it is. The writer of Proverbs says, lean not into your own understanding and in all your ways submit to God and he will direct you your path. Now I'm in this relational situation. I'm not sure what to do. How do I interact with these people? What, what decisions are I supposed to function with? How am I supposed to apply grace and truth? And God will say, okay, let's start here. Don't look at them. Look at me. Trust in me with all of your heart. And don't look to yourself because you are biased. Don't lean into your own understanding because when you really wanna love someone or you're really worried about something, you want to lean into your bias. If you're like me, who's biased toward truth, I wanna lean into my bias, I wanna tell you what's up and I'm good at doing that. And it makes me feel really good to get that off my chest. Don't lean into your own understanding. Because if grace is what made sense to you, you're gonna wanna lean into that bias. You know, let's just let them work it out, love them through it, right? Lean not into your, look at me, trust me. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to me. What does my word, the Bible say? What are non-negotiables? How how do I interact with sinners? How did Jesus interact with sinners? When did Jesus get stubborn? What kind of stuff would he not bend on? What, What kind of stuff did he not care that much about? And I will make your path straight. I'll show you how to work it out. Because sometimes I love somebody, you gotta square off with them. And if you're heavy on grace, you probably have to hold your breath and think it through and make notes and get ready. I don't have to do that. I can do it off the top of my head. It feels great. But if you're heavy on truth, you probably have to talk yourself down. I have to really ask the Holy Spirit to show me the, the, what he sees in a person. Because my theory is, if if you need to get your life together, come here, I'll just give you a swift kick. That'll straighten you out, right? But oftentimes, that's not what a person needs. I trust in God, I pull away from my biases, because I'm not looking for what I've always done, and I'm not looking for what everybody else thinks, I'm looking for who Jesus is and he's both, and my interactions with people are going to be somehow colored toward both, and the Lord is gonna have to help me know how to do that. Now what I've become convinced of is this. The way that we start to get a hold of this in our lives is by seeing God do it for us or to us. So when I drop back a second and I start to look and say, oh, sometimes God really interacts with me through truth and that's been life changing. Other times God really interacts with me through grace and I look and I realize there's moments in my life where truth has absolutely altered me and there's moments in my life that grace has absolutely altered me and when I see that in myself, I can start to understand it in other people. There's times when I I can look and I can say, I am so grateful that God is gracious to me. Because if I'm honest, and I'll, I'll say this to you if I'm honest, I really do want to serve the Lord. That really is my heart. I really do want to honor God with my life. I really do want to to honor God's sacrifice and dedication and blessing in me. I I really do, in my heart of hearts. And I really stink at it. And I can look and if God, God is so great, I'm the biggest idiot. But look how God blesses me. Look at the family he gave me. Look at what I get to do with my life. Look at all the people that I get to love and be loved by. I cannot get over God's enormous grace in my life. And I really am sincere oftentimes and I really stink at it. I can see God's grace in my life. By the way, I can see other people's grace in my life. I really do love Heidi with everything in me. I really do love my kids and I'm a, I'm a lousy husband. I'm not that great of a father, I really do. When I tell Heidi for the 400th time that I really am sorry, I actually mean it every time. I really do wish I could relax. I really do wish that I wouldn't get caught up in little things and they didn't get on my nerves. I I wish I was a different person sometimes than I am because I I think it would make my home and my life happier and I just stink at it. And I really do see Heidi's grace in my life. I see my children's grace in my life. We love you, Daddy, because we love you. You're an idiot. (laughs) The older they get, the more they'll let you know. Now I also look at my life and I'm so glad that people have squared off with me and told me the truth. I accepted the Lord when I was a, a junior in college and I went back uh, for my junior year and then my senior year and, and uh, I was a goofball, a total goofball, I still kind of am. I'm kind of a party waiting to happen a little bit and, and that's the way I was and there was a guy His name was Roger Pugh. He was one of the professors there. And he said, I want to have lunch with you. I said, OK. And I thought, oh, he's probably enamored with me. Probably wants to give me a full ride from a master's degree or something like that. And so I always thought highly of myself and always was shocked that other people didn't. And I sat down with Roger. And he said, he he sat down, he got right to, he sat down. He goes, I want to tell you what's wrong with you, Jeff Bogue. And I've always been lippy. I still am lippy. And I'm like, I didn't ask you, Dr. Pugh. What's wrong with me? That's how I said. And he said I'm going to tell you anyways. He said you're a goofball, you're selfish, you're narcissistic. I didn't know what that mean. I had to look it up later on. <laughs> you're self-centered. All you care is about goofing around. You have enormous leadership ability and you squander all of that for yourself to draw attention to yourself. And if you don't become sober-minded and if you don't start dedicating yourself to the Lord and if you don't decide to do something else with your life besides draw attention to yourself, you're gonna waste all the potential that God has given you. You need to get serious about life. You need to focus on what you're doing. and You need to live outside of yourself and you need to start now. That was fun. And I'm so glad he told me that. Because it was true. Right? And I have a strong enough personality that people were afraid to tell me. I can look back on some moments in my life where people facing me with the truth or God facing me with the truth has actually altered my life. Heidi has done that. My children have done that. And I look and I say, I'm so glad that somebody loved me enough, Roger's one of my dearest friends now, loved me enough to tell me the truth, right? I'm so glad that God loves me enough to tell me I'm a sinner, or I would just think I'm a good guy, kind of plugging along. Jesus, you can pitch in whenever you feel free. But God loved me enough, say, no, you're a wicked, wicked, evil sinner. You're not gonna go to hell one day, you're on your way right now. You must stop and repent and turn to, I am so glad Christ told me that. See how it works? Now when I see that in myself, here's the deal, I start to see it in other people. Oh, that guy who has relapsed like for the 14th time is a lot like me. I relapse from things I don't want to do. I sincerely don't want to be that way. I bet you he needs grace. I bet you when she blew up and blew a gasket, you know, when, I, when I'm scared and anxious, sometimes I blow up. I bet you she's not just angry. I bet you she's scared. I bet you some patience and compassion might go a really, really long way. You know, that guy over there, nobody will tell him what's up. They'll all talk about it behind his back, but nobody will square off with him. And maybe I hate confrontation and it makes me sick to think about it, but somebody has to tell him somebody's got to tell her that the the more she lays into her husband the less he cares somebody's got to love her enough to tell her that or she's going to lose her, her family somebody's got to look at him and say yeah everybody knows you're an addict you're not fooling anyone As a follower of Christ, I'm called to love. And that love isn't gonna look like a category. It's not gonna look like a religion. It's not gonna look like a stereotype. In fact, when we categorize and we politicize and we stereotype, we literally dehumanize people. All those, all those, you know what teenagers are like? All right. Really, every single teenager like that. know you know, what, you know what, what college students are like. You know what that guy's like. You know what the When we categorize a stereotype, we dehumanize people. And you look at Jesus' life, He never apologized for any truth. He never backed off, he never watered it down. He never changed with a culture, never. Never ever. But he was full of grace. And he would interact with a person, not a group. He would pour into your life, he wouldn't fight for your vote. He didn't politicize, he didn't stereotype. He loved. Now this is hard. If you want to erase all the rules or find a new set of rules, just be a Christian. They do it all the time. But if you want to follow Jesus, it's not gonna be clean, it's not gonna be easy, it's not gonna always look fair, it's gonna be a little bit messy. But the disciples of Jesus lead with love. And we engage the person, and once we know their heart, know their mind, because we know the heart and the mind of the one that we serve, now all of a sudden, we start to understand how to apply grace and truth in a given situation, right? OK, it's a lot. <laughs> Told you, take your Advil. You're going to talk about this at Rockney's this afternoon. This is a lot. And I, remember why I said, if you didn't grow up in church or if you're really new to the Jesus thing, like. That will make all the sense in the world to you. you would be like, got it. If you grew up in church and you've been about Jesus, we, we just undid almost everything we've ever been taught. And you'll look and say, I'm not sure what to do with this. And I'll be like, right. Follow Jesus. Right? That's, that's where you start. That's where we go. It's where we finish. It's what we do. We're disciples. We love, we follow, and we're fully devoted to our master i going to ask the band to come out and come down. And as they come down, we, we want to we wanna pray. And we're going to try to create some space for you to respond and think and download a little bit. So we'll spend a few minutes just kind of thinking about, singing about, being consumed with the love of God and our responsiveness to him, right? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Grateful that you love us, even in our sin. You're not against us. You're for us. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to mimic you. We want to be mistaken for you. So Lord, help us to work that through. Holy Spirit, lead us and act your word in our lives. Show us the way. Make our path straight. Jesus, for those of us who are committed to doing that, press deep into our hearts and minds and help us to kind of see your perspective on all of this. God, for those of us who do not know you yet as Savior, this is your kindness, your grace is what you're calling us to. So help us to respond to that as well. In all of this, we're humbled and we're grateful, Jesus. We want to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.